Uh, we're going to open up this passage uh, in Exodus chapter 20. And I want to begin with a story that many of you probably know pretty well. Uh, there was a woman, a famous Christian woman uh, called Corrie ten Boom. And she tells a very famous story, a well-known story about her sister Betty. Uh, they lived in Nazi-occupied Holland during the Second World War, a place that I imagine is, is a pretty horrific time and place to be in. They were a Christian family and they spent much of their lives working, or much of the war, working particularly hard to save as many Jews from the Nazis as was absolutely possible. Saving them from the gas chambers and a life of uh, servitude before they died. They would hide entire families uh, in their house. They had a special uh, compartment apparently under the kitchen table you could open, lift up the kitchen table and the floor would come up with it and underneath would be a Jewish family or two. And one day there's a family underneath there and all of a sudden uh, some soldiers bust into the house and start interrogating them. Uh, Have you got any Jews in your house? Are you hiding anyone? And as the story goes, uh, Corrie's sister Betty, um, as a good Christian, will not lie and so tells the Nazis that there are Jews under the table. She says, yes, of course, they're under the table. And in some miraculous way, God uses her truthfulness to to cause the Nazis to think that she's only joking. They have a good laugh together, and the Nazis leave, and the Jews remain under the floor, safe and sound. And what a story, hey? What an incredible story. We love that story because, yes, Jewish people are saved and the Nazis, we can all laugh at them and someone's told the truth and God has blessed that. But somehow for me, the story's always been a little bit unsettling and I've never really known how to deal with it because, honestly, isn't that a time when I should lie? We're talking about truth in the, in the Ninth Commandment, not bearing false witness. Isn't that a time when we should lie? Lie to protect the Jews from the Nazis. I mean, if we can't lie to the Nazis about saving lives, when can we lie? There's heaps of times when we lie, aren't there? Uh, There's a a scholar whose name is Robert Feldman. And in the Journal of Basic and Applied Social Psychology, what a mouthful, he says that 60% of people in his study, he did a couple of studies, 60% of people lied at least once in any 10-minute period of conversation with each other. At least once. In fact, they averaged two to three times lying in that 10-minute period. Women, apparently, were more likely to lie to make the other person feel good, while men were more likely to to lie to make themselves look better. Whoa, that cuts a little bit, doesn't it? Some lying's normal, isn't it? It was like that when I got here. (laughs) How many times have we said that? No, your bum doesn't look big in that. I heard one guy say uh, once, no, uh, if the ice cream truck truck is playing music, that means they've run out of ice cream (laughs) and they haven't gotten it at all. How about this one? If you don't go to bed, Santa won't come. Lying is something that happens regularly throughout our lives. We live in a world of fake news. Our fact-checking sites like Snopes have become a household name. 
And if we want to be completely honest, every time someone asks us how we are, then honestly, how will we survive? What does it mean to not bear false witness against your neighbour? What does God expect of people? If it's anything like the other commandments, it's really quite strong and quite strict and goes a whole lot more further than we would initially think. As followers of Jesus, what are we supposed to do? Well, I've got two points that I want to open this up with today. And the first one is sort of discuss what false witness is. And we're going to see that false witness is about deceit. And that deceit causes injustice. Bearing false witness is primarily talking about a courtroom situation here. That's what it's talking about. That's why I read a little bit more about what it meant in the laws of Israel to bear false witness and the consequences that are coming about that. It's not... It's not simply about getting your facts wrong, for instance. About saying the wrong thing that you thought was true. It's not about making a mistake. We're talking here about deceit. About intention to deceive. Intentionally distorting the truth. And it isn't talking about non-truths that aren't intended to deceive. So what I mean by that is we can freely tell jokes about the man who walked into the bar even though there was no man and no bar. Non-fiction writers and uh, filmmakers can honestly tell stories that aren't true. We know that they're not true and that's not deceit. But we take deceit itself really quite seriously. In Australia, I don't know if you've ever been in the courtroom before, I've been to court once Uh, over a a rental dispute. In Australia, we make the following vow as we're sworn into the courtroom. And we we don't hold up a Bible, but we place our hands on the Bible still. Well, a few years ago we did. Place our hands on the Bible and we say, I swear by Almighty God that the evidence I give will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. What a thing to say, hey? Have you ever thought about why we say it three different ways? The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. It's because there's so many different ways to deceive. You can deceive by lying. I mean, that seems really obvious, right? I didn't murder my wife. Fingers crossed behind the back. Okay, you can deceive. You can also deceive by telling only half a truth. I didn't murder my wife. I just paid someone else to do it. It's deceit. You can deceive by embellishing the truth. I killed my wife, but it was accidental. In one of my favourite films, one of the main characters' dad uh, had died in the story. And the cause of death was accidental. Uh, He fell down an elevator shaft onto some bullets. (laughs) The the joke is, it's a a comedy, it's a joke. The joke is is that we can say, we can embellish the truth by saying uh, one thing was the real heart of the matter when actually there was a deeper truth uh, to it as well. We're so creative when it comes to the truth or when it comes to lying. But God has a real problem with it. 
And that's because deceit causes injustice. It's really key to understand. Deceit causes injustice. Our society relies on truth, doesn't it? Especially the justice system. And back in ancient Canaan, where God's people are headed just after the Ten Commandments, before they had fingerprints and DNA evidence and and video surveillance, people's truthful testimony was the only real way for justice to be upheld. Parents of young children will know all about this, right? One kid tells you that their sister started it and the sister says that it was the brother and you weren't there to see it. And so how how on earth are you possibly supposed to figure out what to do in that situation? How do you administer justice? How do you rebuke the wrong and how do you uphold and protect the innocent when you haven't seen there? We rely on truthful testimony. And if a man says his wealthy neighbour next door stole his sheep and ate it and the man who did it pays his mates to turn up in court and say that they were with him the whole time in the next suburb over, how is that man going to be assured of justice? Lying is an issue because God cares about justice. This is a commandment just as much about justice as it is about truth. And God's whole law is oriented and created for the purpose of justice, isn't it? I mean, we're in the midst of Ten Commandments, God's law, and all of them are there so that justice, so that the right thing would be done, and this law upholds the rest of them. God's created a system here that protects the innocent. It disciplines and removes the wicked people from amongst the community. And it's a system of justice that relies on truth and honesty to see that justice done. Lying brings about the perversion of justice and God sees it all. He sees when you're blamed for something you didn't do. He sees that injustice. When someone takes credit for the group project where you did most of the work. When someone gossips about you and you feel embarrassed and ashamed. God sees it and he cares. Justice is important. And when people step outside of God's system of justice, God calls them out for their wickedness. We find this all throughout scripture. I've got three examples out of about 60 million. So Amos, the book of Amos, we've just been doing Amos in our community group. The book of Amos is all about justice not being done. God's calling people out. God says, take away all your religion, he says to his people. Take away your religion. Take away your sacrifices, your religious festivals, your music and your singing, he says, and instead... Let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream, he says to his people. In Micah 6.8, very famous verse. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and walk humbly with your God? Isaiah 1. 
Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression, he tells his people. Bring justice to the fatherless. Please uh, plead the widow's cause, he tells his people. And so honesty is important. And if people lie an average of two to three times in a 10-minute conversation, then it's fair to say that we need to let this commandment speak to us too. There's usually a reason we lie, isn't there? Uh, We say that the reason is that it's a white lie. It's not important and, and no one's getting hurt. That's the reason we tell those little lies, right? That's the reason. But it's not. The real reason we lie is that we fear the justice, big, big or small. We fear the consequences which come after the truth. See, the reality is, is that it, it is going to hurt someone and that someone is us. Sure, it doesn't hurt anyone else if we lie, but it's going to hurt us. If we tell the truth, something's going to happen to us. Maybe it's small, maybe we just get rebuked, but that's the reason we lie. It'll impact us. We rationalise that it doesn't matter, when in actual fact, it matters deeply to us, so we are willing to distort the truth and to prevent justice from happening so that we can be without consequences. This happens in many different areas of life. Uh, perhaps our responsibilities in life are the, are the primary place it happens. W- what are we like at taking the blame for our mistakes? How often do we shift blame? Do we say it was like that when we got here? Do we pretend like it was someone else and we didn't know who did it? How honest are we on our timesheets when we're late. If we've forgotten to do what we said we'd do, do we own it? Or do we pass the blame to something else, to the traffic, to someone else on the road, to someone else's fault at home, that's why we left late, that's why we didn't get it done? Our responsibilities require honesty. There's relational honesty as well. I don't know if you've thought about honesty in your relationships, but how forthright, how open are you being in your relationships? Maybe you've got like a really significant one like marriage in your life, but it could also be with your parents or your family or something like that. How honest are you with your struggles with sin in your relationships? Are you honest about who you are and what you're really dealing with? Do we blame the other person and never ourselves? You know those arguments that you have in your head with someone else when they're not there, when you're angry and upset? How often in those arguments are we to blame? It's it's never, right? Because we're not easily honest with ourselves. If you're always placing the blame at the fault of your wife or your friend or your brother, then you're probably not being honest with yourself, let alone them. 
we're called to be honest in our relationships. As I said, though, justice is just as part of this as honesty is. And if the heart of the commandment is justice, then we should be fighting for justice. Some people do this really naturally, don't they? They stand up for the wrongs in this world. We should fight for justice. God puts the responsibility at the moment on humanity. We're given God's law. We're asked to take care of this world. And the church is called by God to lead humanity toward the heart of God. So we should strive to see justice done. When we are in the presence of gossip, we should be there to correct it, to put it down. We should be the ones who give credit where credit's due. We should be the ones to own up to our mistakes and faults. But it's not just in their personal lives. It's on the, the international stage as well. Christians should be the ones fighting for the starving and the uneducated in the world. Fighting for those girls who are forced into marriage at 12 years old and oppressed for the rest of their lives. We should be fighting for the Christians who are burned by Boko Haram over in Africa. We should be writing letters. We should be spending some, sending some money. We should be promoting issues and raising awareness. And it's not just social justice. I don't know about you, but I hate the term social justice when it comes to what we are called to do in Scripture. Because it's not social justice, it's biblical justice. It's not some separate category. Oh, while you're being a Christian, uh, tack on a, a good helping of of social justice, of doing the right thing, so that the world knows that we're not just, you know, about us. God cares about justice, and the little things aren't little to him. As a disciple, as a follower of Jesus, we follow a God of justice. And at this point, in your mind, you might be jumping up and down, saying, well, that's all well and good, but it's not actually helping. And it's not doing anything. It's not working. Injustice is everywhere. Why can't God step in? And if that's you, I'm really glad that you want to see justice actually happen. It's a God-given desire. And it's a problem that our justice system gets it wrong. Has anyone seen uh, Making of a Murderer? We, Jude and I watched Making of a Murderer uh, probably about a couple of years after it came out. It's no good to be right on the current events. <laughs> but uh, we watched Making of a Murder. It's a Netflix show, and it's about a guy called Stephen Avery. And admittedly, he's not a very likeable guy. Uh, he's not a very uh, upstanding citizen in a lot of ways. He, he owns a, a, a junkyard, a car yard, not a, well, not a car sales yard, a, a wrecker's yard. And he was wrongfully sent to jail for a rape that he didn't commit. And he was in there, I think it was 13 years for a crime he didn't commit before DNA evidence unturned the real criminal. He confessed to it and he was released from prison. 13 years. And then he gets out of prison and if you watch the series, it's an incredible series. And I, I know it's a TV show and it's presented in order to, to build confusion in our hearts. But he's, after released, convicted again for a murder that he protests innocence to. 
And at least what we see on TV is really, really unsure evidence. And even just a few weeks ago, I heard, I couldn't find it again, I heard that there's been a confession by someone else for that murder as well. Injustice in this world is an awful and a terrible thing. We need better justice than what we're getting. Our first point was lying is about deceit and deceit causes injustice. Our second is that justice is coming by way of the king. Justice is coming. (laughs) And for people like Stephen Avery, if he's innocent, or others... This is good news that we have a God that loves justice. The good news is that it's coming in a perfect and complete way. That phone scammer who stole grandma's life savings is going to get what he deserves. All those bankers who never went to jail after they caused the global financial problem Uh, crisis a few years ago and and wrecked millions of lives God's onto it even someone like the extreme version someone like Hitler who got out of it so easily by taking his own life after such devastation God's justice is perfect And no wicked person can escape God's king who comes to make recompense. The question is often asked, isn't it? Why does God allow suffering? Why does God allow injustice? And the typical follow-up statement is that God is either uncaring or unable. It either doesn't bother God, the terrible, horrifying unjust things are happening or he's not powerful enough to do anything about it. But actually, it's neither. God has placed the responsibility of justice on the shoulders of humanity. Pardon me. This is my world, he says. I made it. Here it is. Take care of it. See that justice is done. Look after the fatherless and widow. Make sure the weak are looked after just as the wealthy are. And humanity is responsible for not seeing justice properly dispensed. That the fatherless is uneducated and alone. That the pensioner lives below the poverty line. That the weak don't get fair representation against the corporations. But it won't always be like that because the king is coming. And you might want that, but you might not. You might not want it because it's perfect justice. And perfect justice misses no injustice. Do you understand? Nothing get swept under the rug. We're all unjust from time to time. And we're not going to be able to throw a few white lies out there, not tell the whole truth, and get away as a 
as a good person. Because perfect justice defines good person as a perfect person. And we're not perfect. When I talk about these white lies, I can talk about them because I know them from experience. And you know what I'm talking about because you know from experience. We all deceive and twist true justice. And injustice, as we've already said, isn't just about lies. It's about any breaking of God's commandments. It's about all the things that we do and all the things that these commandments should be extrapolated out into. Injustice is really any sin in this world. And so if you've had other gods or other goals as a priority before the one true God, justice is coming for you. If you've hated someone, poured out your wrath and anger on them, justice is coming. If you've lusted after someone who isn't your spouse, stolen something, if you failed to honour your parents, justice is coming. And it's both something we want and something to fear. There's an image in Revelation that we don't often talk about. And I think we don't often talk about it because it makes us really uncomfortable. Uh, it begins in Revelation 19.11. You can, you can go there with me now if you want. I'm not going to read it, but I'm just going to highlight a few parts from it. It's a picture of Jesus at the end of time. It's not a cosy picture, but a militaristic picture. Jesus rides a, a pure white horse. Jesus is called faithful and true names of justice. His eyes in this, in this image are like flames of fire and he has a heap of crowns or diadems, symbols of rule and symbols of authority on his head. At his back are the armies of heaven and out of his mouth come a, a metaphorical sword conveying the idea that his words cut and convict and condemn. And everything is pure about this king down to the horse that he rides except for his robe. His robe's one of those full-length robes that's just a couple of inches off the ground, maybe. And his robe, we see, is dipped in blood. As he walks on the battlefield, triumphing over his enemies, triumphing over injustice and sin, his robe dips into and gets splashed by the blood of of the unjust nations. This is no child in a manger anymore. This isn't someone who dwells among men to give life and light at this point. It's a stern, militant figure of vengeance attacking the rebellious. Does it send a shiver up your spine? 
However, it's important to note that he's not bloodthirsty. He's not into gore and violence. He's not gleeful at this time. But he is triumphant over injustice and rebellion. And he crushes finally and fully and forever those who have distorted his world through any and all injustice. And that sounds like an awful picture, doesn't it? And it is for those who still rebel, for those who have not had justice satisfied for them, for those who have not had their rebellion paid for by that same conquering king. But for those who have, for those people who belong to this triumphant king, this is good news. Because it solves the problem of injustice and pain and suffering forever by destroying it all. And the story doesn't end there. That's Revelation 19 and goes on through 20. The destruction of injustice in 19 makes way for the defeat of Satan in 20 and for a world of perfection in the last chapter, chapter 21. A chapter that isn't possible without the perfect destruction of injustice. It's a chapter of peace. It's a chapter of beauty where justice is a blessing of the king for his people. And there will be a peace that will never be shattered by evil because no evil remains and no injustice exists. And the world has gone back to perfection under the king who loves justice and the peace that it brings. God loves justice. And one day it's coming by his King, Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, you've given us a picture that is both terrifying and beautiful. We acknowledge maybe today that our views of Jesus need to change somewhat. Yes, he is love. Yes, he is beauty. Yes, he is good. But that love and goodness and beauty works its way out in a hatred for injustice and sinfulness that is beyond our capacity to truly understand. We thank you, Lord, that we have already been rescued from the injustice, the truthlessness, and the sinfulness in our lives. Thank you that we belong to this king now and we are part of his kingdom and we do not oppose it any longer. Lord, we pray for this world that is one guy going to see perfect justice and we pray that it would turn to him and find forgiveness and mercy and peace. And Lord, we thank you that one day all the injustices of this world will be ended. One day, wickedness and evil men and women will get what they deserve. We thank you that the King will bring these things 
We thank you for Jesus and we thank you for the peace that he will bring us. We pray this in his mighty and glorious and fearful and beautiful name. Amen.